it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flip composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll A get through it. social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's uh, a historic day with the inauguration going on later, and, uh, of course, it's Wednesday, which means armchair politics is coming up in about an hour. We'll have two hours of commentary and analysis about uh, local, state, and national news, current events with our... uh, Roundtable regulars, uh, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. They'll be joined by Politico Emeritus and a frequent contributor to armchair politics, Woodrow Stanley. And um, before that, of course, we're going to be talking, I'm sure, about uh, today's inauguration and uh, President Trump's final hours as uh, president um, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of those things what what uh, how this is all transitioning and how it will be going forward and so on we'll get all to that to all of that in just a little bit but this first hour I uh, I sat down and talked with um, uh, constitutional law professor Brendan Beery, who's a frequent contributor to the show, about impeachment and uh, inauguration and uh, insurgency and a number of other things. We'll be talking about that in just a couple minutes, but first we're going to hear some sound bites from the last 24 hours that include um, President Trump's farewell soundbite uh from his uh, remarks yesterday, um, an excerpt from last night's COVID memorial, and uh, then we'll get into it with Brendan Beery. So stay tuned. We got lots of uh, lots of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. 
As I conclude my term as the 45th President of the United States, I stand before you truly proud of what we have achieved together. We did what we came here to do, and so much more. This week, we inaugurate a new administration and pray for its success in keeping America safe and prosperous. We extend our best wishes, and we also want them to have luck, a very important word. You know, you've all, it's kind of emotional for me. Look, you were with me my whole career, and uh, through the good times and the bad, I want to thank you for everything. To my fellow Delawareans, on behalf of the entire Biden family that's here today, I want to express how much you mean to me and to every one of us. You know, in our family, the values we share, the character we uh, strive for, the way we view the world, it all comes from home. It all comes from Delaware. The state that gave my mother and father a home and a livelihood uh, when they needed it most. The state that made my brother and sister and I, both of whom are here, understand that we could do whatever we dreamed of, whatever that was. And it gave me a chance when I was just a kid to be elect me to uh, and believed in me and sent me to the United States Senate before going to the county council, after going to the county council, where Jill and I found one another and where she made me strong, as Ernest Hemingway wrote in all the broken places. And uh, the state that loves our children and our grandchildren and loved our beau, and he so loved you right back. General Barry, when the headquarters was named after Bo, I told General Vavil at the time, it means everything to me, to Hunter, to Ashley, to Jill, to our whole family. But Bo would be the first to say the honor goes to the men and women of the Delaware National Guard and their families who gave so much, were true patriots, defined by the courage of their character. And so it's deeply personal that our next journey to Washington starts here. It is now my great honor to introduce Lori Marie Key. Lori is a nurse at St. Mary Mercy Livonia Hospital outside of Detroit. Her community was hit hard when the virus struck and Lori was assigned to the COVID unit. Lori is known for singing on the hospital floor and a video of her singing a certain hymn inspired our nation. She joins us this evening to honor those we have lost with that same hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that
said to his eminence as we were waiting to come in, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, if there are any angels in heaven, they're all nurses. We know from our family experience what you do, the courage, and the pain you absorb for others. So thank you. Thank you. Your eminence, Cardinal Gregory, and Yolanda Adams, to heal we must remember, it's hard sometimes to remember, but that's how we heal. It's important to do that as a nation. That's why we're here today. Between sundown and dusk, let us shine the lights in the darkness along the sacred pool of reflection. Remember all whom we lost. Hail to the chief, he's the chief and he needs hailing. He is the chief, so everybody hail like crazy. Hail to that's the more or less Hail to the chief, if you don't I'll have to kill you. I am the chief, so you better watch your step. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, welcome back, everybody. It was just, uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago when I last spoke with our go-to guy on all things uh, constitutional, constitutional law, Professor Brendan Beery, and a lot has happened in that two-week time. We're going to talk about some of those things with uh, Brendan. He's from, uh, well, he's from around here, but he um, is uh, in Tampa with the uh, uh, WMU Cooley Law School. He's a constitutional law professor and our go-to guy. And he joins me now by phone. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, happy to be back. And uh, right, we, we talked a couple weeks ago. It seems like a couple of years ago uh, with it, everything that's uh, it, happened. It really does with all the stuff that's gone on. Although there were things, you know, looming that, uh, you know, certainly the transition of the presidency and, you know, questions about the election and all of that was going on. And mm -hmm. I, I think we both knew we'd be talking again soon, but I realized we'd be talking this soon and have this much to talk about. Um, it, it, it'd be impossible for us not to mention the fact that right on the heels of our conversation, um, literally... I, I don't know if you'd say hundreds or thousands, but a lot more uh, protesters than there were cops uh, mm -hmm. basically stormed the U.S. Capitol 
and interrupted Congress for a period of time, which was kind right. of their intent. Um, so I imagine before we can even talk about impeachment, which has also happened in the last two weeks, right. um, we have to talk about the insurgency because that's what the impeachment was based on. Um, right. And and I guess the, the question really is, um, is it a fair case to make that the president incited that behavior, especially as we learn more about the pre-planning that went into it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's uh, there are a couple different angles uh, to that, um, and uh, I think I'll, I'll I'll start with the the most you know legalistic. Uh, uh, when it, when you talk about incitement, there there have been uh, Supreme Court cases about what constitutes incitement, and the reason. Uh, some of those cases go to the Supreme Court is because the court has to make sure that we're not trampling on people's First Amendment rights. Uh, you know, courts have to distinguish between blowing off steam, you know, howling at the moon. I mean, people are free to do that uh, in this country. Well, um, you know, I if somebody, you know, if I get upset with you and I say I could just kill you, am I really threatening you? Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Just to say, you know, uh, I'm going to do X is different than saying I hope X. Yeah, I hope X would happen to you. Um, and uh, and that's, you know, so, and, and you, I mean, I'm sure it's obvious to people how, you know, courts have to struggle with that distinction. Um, so, so courts try to figure out at what point does speech, right, that's alleged to be incitement, lose its First Amendment protection, where that, okay, we've reached a point where that's no longer protected speech because it's more dangerous, right, the, the danger it poses far outweighs uh, any benefit the classic and, um, example yelling fire in a crowded theater when there is no fire exactly that's right and uh and so there are, there are a number of different uh you know uh, categories of unprotected speech including incitement fighting words where you just get in somebody's face and, and challenge them to a fight you know that's not protected speech uh obscenity is not protected um so so when it comes to incitement here's what the supreme court has said speech loses its first amendment protection and does constitute incitement when the speaker is advocating uh, for imminent lawless activity under circumstances where it's likely to occur. That's the full definition of incitement. So as lawyers, we break that down into elements. You know, uh, was Donald Trump advocating? He's now, to my mind, applying this rule, um, you know, when he says uh, to the crowd, we're going to the Capitol and we're doing it now. um, Okay, well, you know, it, it sounds like he, there was an ask, right? That's what advocacy means, to ask or encourage. Um, was it imminent? Well, he, he didn't say later, right? He said, <laughs> we're going from here right, to the Capitol. Uh, so uh, it seems like imminence is there. Now, what he'll argue is, that, because remember, the definition is uh, right, advocating for imminent lawless activity. He'll, he'll say, well, I wasn't advocating for, you know, actually going in and rioting. Um, More with constitutional law professor Brendan Beery straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com This 
is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with constitutional law professor Brendan Beery straight ahead. Well, let's let's parse a couple of the things that were said. At one point, he said, you know, let's let's head on down the, to the Capitol, and I hope Mike Pence, you know, does, mm-hmm. you know, what he needs to do to overturn this election, and and. Um, he he also suggested that you can't get your country back by being weak. Right. Now, does that constitute saying go down there and be tough, and in particular, hang Mike Pence? Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's you just hit on the exact question. I'm not and, uh, I'm not completely think... convinced. You know, I saw the speeches right. he gave. Was he throwing uh, gasoline on a fire? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but was he really was it a call to action? Right. And that's the the, the problem is. And, and I do think there's um on the part of uh, of people I'm hearing defending what the president said. There's a I, I've actually heard commentators and politicians say he didn't say walk, go to the Capitol and break in and take over the two chambers of Congress. Uh, and I, got, and that, I agree with that. Yeah, that's sure. That, that's that isn't right. what he said. Um, right. And and I think he did. Um, I did. I think he did stir up an already angry mob and he okay. did direct them toward the Capitol. Um, right. With some veiled insinuations that the purpose was to prevent Congress from ratifying the uh, or certifying yes. rather the right. uh, Electoral College votes in favor right. of uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's the problem is that uh, and that's why I think, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, well, we don't need to investigate because everything happened in public. I think you probably do need to investigate a little bit to see what the president knew before he gave that speech, the involvement of his campaign or anybody in his orbit and and arranging that uh, the rally, Um, you know, the purpose behind it. I I would like to know more what was going on. But but um, but it is important to point out that when people undertake criminal enterprises, they rarely, you know, you, you hear that defense in every criminal case, right? And every conspiracy case. I didn't say, I didn't explicitly say that I wanted you to do X. You know, people who undertake uh, illegal <laughs> conspiracies, they know how to do the wink and the nod and to say it without saying it. So it's left to the trier of fact in a, in a criminal case, um, you know, to try to get behind the words that were actually spoken and get to intent. That's the problem with when prosecutors try to prove intent, it's almost always using circumstantial evidence. Unless you have a confession, right, the, there is no direct evidence uh, of somebody's intent. Um, so you're always trying to look at, if you're a prosecutor, what was going on before? Uh, um, what, how did the person react afterwards? That, that's going to be trouble for Donald Trump, that he let it happen without uh, trying to intervene. Um, will be used as evidence that he wanted it to happen. Um, and those kinds of those kinds of circumstantial that that kind of circumstantial evidence uh, is is what people are going to be arguing about. Um, you know, it's uh, and 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 yeah, incitement to uh, well, essentially to overthrow the government. Uh, you know, do, does constitute insurrection under federal law. So I don't know. You know, if you have a betting man, I don't think he'll be charged. Um, but that's not as as we've been through this down this road before. That's not the issue before the Senate. Well, he's he's been impeached, and that, right. that automatically, or does it automatically generate a trial in the Senate? 
it does. Uh, as soon as the House managers, uh, and of course they've already been appointed, um, Jamie Raskin is going to be heading the, the House managers. The House managers are essentially the prosecutors. They're appointed by the Speaker of the House. Once they bring the article of impeachment over to the Senate, at that point, uh, the Constitution says the Senate, the, the Senate shall try the impeachment. So there's no wiggle room there. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then, you know, the, the, there's one, you know, like I said, it's pretty amazing. It took us 200 years to rack up two impeachments, and now we've had two in, in one year. Um, but uh, so we've been down this road recently that the rule when it comes to the Senate is, you know, uh, an impeachable offense, uh, right, an offense that warrants conviction is whatever the Senate says it is. Uh, so they're not dealing with the elements I just laid out or the burden of proof, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, Do they have any sentencing options? Yeah, there, there are two. And this is why um, you know, we're going to hear a lot about this, too. Uh, this is why uh, there's so much debate. Uh, about whether this is worthwhile. Um, obviously, by the time the Senate uh, convenes and uh, and tries uh, Donald Trump, he won't be president anymore. So what's the point? Uh, well, the point is, as uh, as Chuck Schumer has mentioned, and he's right about this, uh, there's two. There are two votes actually um, in uh, in the Senate. One is to, assuming that the person's in office to remove them. Um, uh, the other, uh, this, a second vote, there would actually be a second vote in the Senate uh, that Schumer has said if, if Donald Trump is convicted, then he will ask for the second vote. And the second vote is whether to disqualify that person from ever holding federal office again. Um, so uh, while uh, where the first part is moot, right, uh, removing him from office is a moot point, um, the second part is not moot, especially in light of Donald Trump's, uh, you know, sort of uh, suggestion that he's going to run again in 2024. Um, so uh, and then, of course, there's just a the historical uh, part of this. Right. Uh, there are obviously members of Congress who just wanted to make sure they made the point uh, that that this is the only president in American history to, to get impeached twice. Um, so a lot going on there. But, yeah, there are multiple layers of consequences. And for he would conviction be of the if if he were convicted. He would be the first. That's correct. He'd be the first president ever convicted by the Senate. Yep. Because we had uh, uh, Andrew Johnson was tried but not uh, not convicted. He was acquitted um, by one vote. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, you know, then Nixon resigned before uh, before impeachment. Uh, so that didn't happen. Then Bill Clinton was acquitted. Um, and then uh, Donald Trump. And that, those were the only presidential uh, right, that those were the only presidential issues where impeachment was in the in the picture. So this would this would be the first conviction. But there are occasionally impeachments of other officers, judges, yes. and and so on. Um, Correct. And there have been a couple who've been convicted after stepping down from their office already. That's right. That's right. And that's never once again that's never happened to, uh, to a president before. But the uh, the best known uh, case of that was uh, involved the Secretary of War who was corrupt. Uh, we used that term Secretary of War before it was changed to Secretary of Defense. And uh, um, he resigned uh, to try to avoid, uh, you know, these consequences. And so Congress there, there did set uh, the uh, the precedent uh, that it would go ahead after somebody uh, to try to disqualify them from future office. So you're not, 
you, and, and that makes some sense. You know, you just can't just resign your way out of, uh, you know, out of uh, censure, you know, and, and disqualification by Congress. Um, uh, that would be kind of an odd uh, system where right, if I if I want to run for president again, I just resign before they can impeach me. Um, uh, so 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 we'll see. I mean, that's there's going to be some some uh, curious incentive on the part of senators to actually consider doing it um and i mean republican senators because because there are uh there are some people in the senate who want to be president <laughs> in 2024 uh and uh and that's not likely to happen if donald trump is still hanging hanging around uh right uh, uh holding sway over the uh, the base of the party so um you know if they want and this has to be part of mitch mcconnell's calculation right the senate majority leader for, for now the senate majority leader soon to be minority leader um, of, of whether uh, he wants to remove Trump from public life and uh, get this and get this behind him. Uh, so we'll we'll see what they do. Well, they um, Senate Republicans, especially, but even to some degree, House Republicans have been between a rock and a hard place because uh, President Trump is sitting on a lot of. Uh, war chest money and if he's not going to run in 2024 he's going to spend that money going after the people who voted against him right that's right and uh there's no question he's gonna uh i think it's fair to say he has a vindictive streak <laughs> and uh so he's going to come after he's going to try to get these people primaried uh, the people who voted against him i'm seeing reporting that that even though kevin mccarthy the house republican leader uh voted uh, not to impeach he still gave a floor speech that blamed Trump uh, for um, essentially for inciting uh, the riot. Uh, and so Donald Trump's very angry with him as well. So, um, you know, he keeps score. And uh, yeah, so that's a calculation that they have to they have to make. Let's talk about the, the breach of the Capitol itself. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the people that are being charged are being <clears throat> charged with entering the building illegally mm -hmm. and yet i've always had the impression that the capitol building not just in washington but in the various state capitals around the country are sort of open to the public people can go in be part of the gallery watch the proceedings um it how is entering that building considered illegal yeah, because uh, first of all, they were in parts of the building that were not open uh, to the public, um, and uh, and uh, so that's that's part of it. But also, uh, there are federal laws that prohibit forcibly uh, entering a facility, and that's so when they were bashing in the windows, um, and and it's, it's it's definitely not a defense to say, well, I was you know ten people back when they were breaking through the doors, you know, if if you were part of that same uh, effort to break into uh, the building, you know, they're going to get you on forcible entry. But I think the more important uh, point about that is that right now people are being charged with what pro prosecutors would call low-hanging fruit. Um, you know, the, the uh, people who are being charged with crimes need to understand that charges come in waves. Um, once they've got you on one thing, uh, so they're going to go for that easy stuff, right? Uh, you were part of a mob that broke into the building. Enough, By the way, enough disobeyed. to get you in custody. Yes, there you go. And so then they've got you uh, talking, right? And so then, uh, but uh, the, uh, 
the acting U.S. attorney in D.C. Uh, said, first of all, that uh, we're going to be quite surprised by the breadth of charges that are coming. And he specifically mentioned that people are going to be charged with sedition and, and seditious conspiracy. Um, so a lot of the people they rounded up for, for these very simple crimes, more you know, something akin to trespassing, um, they're going to be facing a lot more legal jeopardy than that uh, once the FBI and federal officials have, uh, you know, have had a chance to really uh, dig down into what happened here and who were the ringleaders, um, you know, and, and who was uh, putting up social media posts, right? Uh, I mean, that's, you know, uh, those, there's going to be a lot of development uh, of these cases. It's going to take a long time. Uh, but sedition is in the cards. People are going to be charged with that. I've I've heard people comparing the uh, uh, storming of the Capitol itself uh, to 1812, that that mm -hmm. was the last time a, a mob stormed the Capitol. Um, but I wonder how this compares to that. And also, how does it compare to the episode in the 50s when uh, uh, Puerto Rican activists that were working towards statehood got into Congress and kind of shot the place up a little bit, mm -hmm. wounding Gerald Ford? Right. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I got that, that one hasn't uh, been that... talked about. No, I've not heard that talked about. Uh, I, I might have heard it mentioned once or twice. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, obviously this is this is distinguishable in a number of ways. Number one, from the War of eighteen twelve was foreigners doing it, and um, yeah, I think a lot of Americans, I'll certainly include myself in this, are, are shocked to see Americans uh, do it rather than uh, people from other countries. Um, and then there's obviously just the scale and the optics, um, you know, of a, of a, a massive oh, overtaking of the capital including both chambers, uh, you know, and um, I'm sure people have seen it. This is one of those things where, you know, with, the longer it goes on and the more it comes out, the worse it gets. You know, usually there's a there's a shock and an outrage and then it just kind of diminishes after that. But, um, you know, the, the video that keeps coming out, it, you just keep seeing that this was worse than we thought. Um, you know, this uh, 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 people almost getting into the uh, the speaker's lobby, which are, you know, directly adjoins uh, the House chamber, uh, where a, where a uh, Capitol police officer shot and killed uh, somebody who was trying to get through the doors. Um, you know, the the mayhem, and like I said, and the scale of it, and who was doing it, um, all I think uh, was was a, you know, a shock. Uh, certainly a shock to me, and and I'm assuming a shock to everybody. Uh, and uh, and turned our you know and, and speaking of wars has has turned our capital city into an armed encampment. <laughs> so uh, you know that's uh, it's been a while since we've seen that as well. I heard one of the oh maybe it was Capitol Police or maybe it was somebody from the National Guard saying that the National Guard routinely sets up for inaugurations mm -hmm. right. um this is just in in bigger numbers because of what happened uh two weeks ago but um is is that the case or is this a much different 
kind of way. I, I mean, obviously it's different because of the numbers, but um, mm-hmm. but procedurally, is it unusual to have the National Guard be part of the the protection detail for the events surrounding the inauguration? No, not at all. Uh, that's that's common. Um, it is it's the numbers, but it's also the closures. Uh, you know, the just the that the fact that uh, so many streets are being closed down, the National Mall uh, will be closed. You know, that's where I'm sure people remember the dispute between, <laughs> about crowd sizes on the National Mall yeah. uh, between the Obama and Trump <laughs> inaugurations. Yeah, and, I want to uh, see the pictures from this one. <laughs> yeah, they, they we're not going to have to worry about this one. There's not going to be any crowds on the National Mall this time. So, uh, you know, it's just going to be a really strange uh, atmosphere at a, as they've been saying, a made-for-TV inauguration. So I'm sure they'll still have the Marine Band will play Hail to the Chief, and uh, and I don't know if they'll do a 21-gun salute or what they have in mind. So some of it will be familiar, but um, there won't be any crowd, and uh, and basically the capital city is is locked down under 25,000 military personnel in the city. Now, one of the reasons that... that, uh, uh, members of Congress gave for acting so quickly on on this second impeachment was the fear that that um, well one was punitive that that the president mm-hmm. had commit committed basically a seditious act against another branch of government um, mm-hmm. but the other was uh, that he was a clear and present danger that he might do something in his remaining right. time in office and um, of course, I I think he already has, but but that's 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 part of the whole discussion headed to the Senate. Um, but I am curious about this this sudden uh, flood of pardons. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And and of course, the highest profile of of those possible pardons is the president himself. Can he leave a note that says, you know, I, I give me a, a get-out-of-jail-free card? You know, there's, there is so much um, to unpack there. I mean, because, first of all, you know, there are certain uh, forms and protocols and uh, procedures for issuing a presidential pardon, and definitely people have been asking, is there anybody left in the White House uh, who would even know how to draft one of these things? Uh, you know, the, the uh, you know, apparently the uh, the White House counsel, uh, Cipollone, is sort of on the outs. Uh, Bill Barr has left, and and you know, they they left on bad terms. Uh, so that's a real question. And to, to answer your question directly, it, it it almost sounds like you're you're kidding, but it actually might be true. Can you leave yourself? Can you leave a note? If he's going to try to scribble it on a napkin, right, I leave it on the resolute desk. That's probably not uh, right. <laughs> the well, form, I would, uh, I would uh, expect, you know, know. As, even as, as um, casual as, as President Trump can be about some things, I'm sure you would get a secretary to find a template and make up right. a bunch of these, you know, official-looking uh, pardon letters. Right, um, right, yeah. in, Including one for himself. Um, the the question becomes not so much process uh, but mm-hmm. legality. Um, it's yeah. it's not been done, but does the Constitution prohibit it? 
it doesn't expressly prohibit it, but that's uh, you, there is definitely a textual argument to be made here. And the, I, I'm hearing a consensus in the legal community developing that you cannot pardon yourself. And, and one of the reasons is that the text of the Constitution says the president can grant pardons. Um, and the word grant assumes a transaction between a person and another person. Um, right. It doesn't say or, the or that it's 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 being um, uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for bestowed on someone yeah. else. That's right. That's right. That's just as a matter of common usage. And that's what judges look at. Right? So when we use that word, what do we usually mean by it? Or, or what would somebody assume was meant by that? Um, and so there's a real strong argument that textually you can't do it. And then just as importantly, um, the, it's, it's a foundational principle in our law. And I mean foundational. I mean, one of the, um, one of the earliest things that the framers talked about uh, openly and, and, you know, uh, the early Congresses debated and, um, and has just remained a bedrock principle is that a person cannot be a judge in their own cause, in their own case. Um, that's no justice system at all. Uh, and so, you know, when, the, when a president or a governor issues a pardon, in essence, they're taking that place of a judge, right? You're the judge in a case. You're, you're deciding uh, how the law ought to apply to this person. Um, and it's just, again, it's just one of the foundational principles of our system that you can't do that when you are the person. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so uh, I think he'd be on very shaky grounds. You know, the, the latest reporting I'm hearing is he's not planning on pardoning himself, but he could obviously change his mind on that. Um, I think he absolutely could pardon his family. Um, you know, there'd be no. Uh, well, uh, he, al he already did uh, offer a part or uh, offer up a pardon. Um grant a pardon to um, Jared Kushner's uh, father. Right. That's right. Yeah. So a uh, little so extended we'll there, but, you know, if that's uh, any foreshadowing of some of the other names that we'll see come out in those, right. Right. Um, yeah. that that will be interesting to see. And, and there's no cap on the number of pardons. I, I, I mean, I'm assuming the number that he's done already is is significant, but then mm -hmm. there's this last ditch hundred that are right. being anticipated. That number has to have come from somewhere. There's a list somewhere. But right. but um, more with constitutional law professor Brendan Beery. <laughs> in session. The coat's in session now. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Stop eating that fudge. Cause here come the judge. Don't nobody budge. Cause here come the judge. Judge Shorty is presiding the day. And he don't take no stuff from nobody. No kind of way. Hey boy, take off the hat. Where do you think you're at? I know where you gon' be if you don't eat my meat. I'm here to tell you. All up in the cold night. Can't nobody smoke tonight. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Okay. 
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com 
First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with constitutional law professor Brendan Beery straight ahead. There's there's no uh, cap on that that says, you know, the president can grant unlimited right. pardons. Not constitutionally. There is a, there's no limit on that power, um, the power to grant pardons. And so there now over time, there has developed a very detailed procedure uh, that goes through the Justice Department to identify uh, people, you know, uh, you know, whose cases the president should look at uh, to develop, um, you know, uh, to, to look factually at what happened in the case and develop any new evidence. So there's a really um, involved process. But of course, the, this president, like most, <laughs> we've only been discussing this for four years, like like most, uh, what I always call protocols and norms that kind of just bulldozed right through them. And so, you know, there are, there are federal procedures for doing it that have been ignored, but that's not a constitutional requirement, uh, right, that, that you go through that process. That's just kind of our uh, unwritten constitution, right, the, the rules that have uh, evolved over time. But uh, there's no limit on it. And um, there, there, there could be some legal issues, though, uh, that are tested. I mean, one of the questions is, can you just issue a blanket pardon for crimes that haven't, haven't even been charged yet? Uh, the answer seems to be yes, because of what Gerald Ford did for Richard Nixon. Um, but it's important to note that Ford's pardon of Nixon was never challenged in court. Right? So we don't have judges answering that question, uh, but there's a historical precedent for it. Um, so, so it's pretty safe bet that, yeah, if, if he tries to pardon anybody who's not him, uh, he can do that. He can uh, do it uh, for as many people as he wants, and he can issue, at least try to issue blanket pardons that absolve uh, absolve people of any wrongdoing um, without even knowing, you know, what exactly they might have been accused of or, or charged with. And and what about the um, the inauguration itself and the swearing in of the president? Uh, it's typically a, a, a style thing that, that the U.S. has been very proud of, this whole notion of Mm-hmm. peaceful transition of power where one president stands up and watches the incoming president sworn in and you know they shake hands and go their separate ways um mm-hmm. that's clearly not happening this time around but um what are rules and and what is is just common practice yeah the first, uh, the first time a president lost uh, was, was when Adams lost to Jefferson. Um, and so uh, Adams just, so it only took our second president before we had this happen. And, uh, and so that's where the historical precedent started. And, um, Adam, you know, what's happened now, I do think it's important to appreciate uh, that, that this is unprecedented. This has never happened. This is the worst uh, we've seen. Because Adams, when he lost to Jefferson, was not exactly uh, in. Uh, <laughs> he was not happy about it. Um, and well, didn't he, he, uh, didn't he sort of sneak out in the night? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what historians have written in the in the right in the cover of darkness. Yeah, he got in his uh, right his carriage and and left town. But he never said Jefferson didn't win. You know, he never said this was a fraud and it was rigged or you know, he. Uh, 
And he, he didn't refuse to even use Thomas Jefferson's name. He acknowledged that Thomas Jefferson had beaten him. That's why he was upset. Um, and there was no precedent yet, right, for this kind of graceful, uh, gracious uh, transfer of power. So he left. But in modern times, yeah, the president um, always, uh, you know, swallows his pride when he's lost an election and first of all concedes uh right i mean and and, And uh, congratulates the winner right right concedes calls uh invites the winner to the white house you know these are again none of this is constitutionally required uh, but all of it is is part of our history um and um and so uh, yeah none of of that is going to happen here Uh, uh, mike pence has said he's going to attend i think that's very healthy um, I, I will have to say that Mike Pence has acquitted himself very well uh, throughout this, you know, including the, the, uh, his duties on January 6th. Um, <clears throat> and he's, he's sort of become right now, seems like more or less the, the figurehead uh, right, of the outgoing uh, administration as, as Trump sort of has disappeared. Um, so he'll be there. Um, but yeah, uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, will be on his way um, to Mar-a-Lago. Um, that's one interesting part of the transition is uh, um, at 12.01, uh, Air Force One becomes uh, Joe Biden's airplane. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, I think that's why uh, Donald Trump is beating a, a hasty retreat uh, uh, in the morning so that he's still in command of the aircraft, literally still in command of the aircraft. Uh, uh, before noon, right, when it right. drops him off. Uh, yeah, I, I even heard uh, uh, the uh, passing of the football being yeah. being described as there will literally be two footballs, one with Donald Trump as he goes to mm-hmm. Mar-a-Lago, and then one with uh, President-elect Biden. And as soon as Biden's sworn in, the codes in, in his case become mm-hmm. active and the the codes in Donald Trump's case become inactive. That's right. That's right. Yep. I, I've heard that as well. And, and yeah, that's usually part of, you know, you, you hear the story, you know, in the nuclear age, that was part of the transition too. And it would just happen at the inauguration. Um, you know, the, the uh, military attache for the outgoing president would simply hand the football to the military attache for the incoming president. Right now, but they, <laughs> they can't do that this time. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, they have to have two different uh, footballs. Well, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens in the Senate going forward, um, especially uh, with confirmations. And I'm sure we'll we'll get together and and talk about some of those things as they as they begin to play out. Sure. Yep. I'm happy happy to talk about that. Well, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, but with all the things that are going on, and I'm not sure we got to everything, but... but no, we didn't. <laughs> um, oh, I, I, the one thing that I did want to mention, uh, do you think Stephen Breyer will resign? I do, uh, and I think he'll do it... Uh, I, again, don't quote me on this, but I think he'll do it in the first year uh, of, uh, of Biden's presidency so that we don't get into any shenanigans uh, about... Uh, Right, being too late in the term to to pick uh, a new justice, so I think he will be gone uh, very quickly. 
Interesting. And we'll talk about yeah. that when it happens. Anyway, yep. <laughs> uh, Brendan, thanks so much. It's uh, always a pleasure talking with you. My guest is uh, Brendan Beery. He is a constitutional law professor at WMU Cooley Law School in Tampa. And he joins us uh, frequently to help explain, uh, um, basically, uh, to give us a civics lesson. We'll, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Sumnerprogram.com. 
you pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. It's 